God, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to know the hope to which Christ has called us. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There was a common character that haunted the ancient world. He populated their myths and fables. Kids would scare each other with stories about him around the campfire. And he was the pariah of the community. Unclean, pushed out, kept at arm's length. No, not Oilers fans. Sorry, that's a cheap joke at the rector's expense. I don't even watch hockey. No, rather the demoniac. Those sorry individuals oppressed by what our gospel today euphemistically calls an unclean spirit. These are familiar characters in the gospels. They make up a massive part of Jesus' own story. Lots of the healings that we run into in the gospel narratives are really what we'd call exorcisms. Jesus driving out disagreeable spirits. But despite how much real estate these characters take up in the Gospels, we don't really know what to make of them, do we? What do we do with these stories? How do we reconcile them with a world in which we don't think of ourselves as brushing shoulders with the spiritual like the ancients did? Where we don't attribute every ailment to the work of some invisible evil and every unfortunate occurrence to some grand supervillain pulling the spiritual strings. How do we find space for these stories in an intellectually honest faith? Well-meaning scholars and preachers have ventured a few suggestions to help us out here, especially for those who seek to excavate meaning out of these ancient texts while not having to swallow the story wholesale. Maybe the one we're most accustomed to is the idea that what the Bible calls a demon is what today we would call mental illness. That what the ancients thought was a spiritual reality was really just a medical one all along. I can understand why this is an attractive interpretation to many thoughtful people of faith. It allows us to recognize the individual in the story in a way that Jesus seems to recognize them, as a victim of something that's ultimately beyond their control. That's really important. A couple of times in the Gospels, people ask Jesus to explain why somebody is suffering. They want to play the blame game, to chart a straight line between a person's sin and their suffering. This person is possessed by a demon because they did something wrong and God is punishing them. Every time Jesus is dragged into that conversation, he refuses to play the game. He never blames anybody's suffering on their sin. That's important for us because it's a game we play today as well, with those who suffer from mental illnesses that we don't fully understand. Anybody who's walked the hard road of mental health struggles knows how many people are ready to give you the reason for your suffering. And often that reason is tied up somewhere with a sense that you are to blame for it. If you could only pull yourself together, then you'd be all right. And so the mental illness interpretation of these stories is a thoughtful one. It seeks to take seriously Jesus' own conviction that this kind of suffering is something that we're always a victim of, far more than an agent in. But it's also an interpretation that gets us into some territory that we might want to avoid. Thinking that the demonic is just an antiquated word for mental illness is only a short journey away 
from demonizing those who are struggling with mental illness, demonizing them in a very literal way. Like the ancient world, it can justify the marginalizing of people who act and think in ways that we don't understand. It can lead us to treat this person like a patient in need of cure, rather than a living, breathing human soul. And in doing away with the spiritual nature of this issue and making it a purely medical one, we can also take away the deeply powerful role that faith plays in the lives of many people who are journeying through mental health challenges. So another option ventured by well-meaning scholars is that in the New Testament, a demon is really just a euphemism for an idol. It's a metaphor, a way of describing that which comes to consume our lives, that which draws our attention away from God. Paul flirts with this idea in today's reading from Corinthians. He writes to the church in Corinth to point out their many, many problems. And one of the big ones is that they don't really know what to do with idols anymore. Some people are terrified of them, thinking that even eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol puts you in God's bad books. And others don't give a hoot either way. Paul reminds them that idols are not real, but that we should take them seriously nonetheless. Because anything can become an idol. Anything can rob us of our attention and devotion to God. So that's a little like the idea of the demonic, isn't it? That which consumes us and in doing so robs us of our attention to the divine. But it's also an interpretation that defangs some of the raw imagery that these gospel texts afford us. After all, what we have in our gospel this morning is not a guy struggling philosophically with his idols, but a very real spiritual distress as he kicks up a very real stink in the synagogue, screaming, convulsing. So it seems like whatever we make of these stories, and however we manage to get our modern scientific sensibilities to keep coming to church with us, one thing is clear, that doing away with these supposedly outdated ideas of demons and spiritual powers has done nothing to alleviate the brokenness of our world, has it? As the preacher Fred Craddock once put it, not believing in demons has hardly eradicated evil. Which is to say that whatever we name the source of what is broken in our lives, we still have to find ways to live with it. I wonder if the question of what to make of these archaic ideas is less interesting than the question of what do we do with our own demons, with the sources of brokenness in our own lives, Perhaps the man in the story is an unlikely model for us here. Something brings this man back. He barges back into the community that he's been exiled from. I mean, what is this guy doing in the synagogue? This is a holy place. It's populated with religious types and the worst kind of religious types, Pharisees. Surely this is the last place that he'd want to go. People oppressed by unclean spirits were the pariahs of their community. In the Hebrew imagination, the only way to make a thing clean if it's unclean is to purify it. And the only way to do that if there's something in you that's unclean is to be healed. But healing was in short supply, even in the ancient world. And so instead, you would find yourself isolated, distanced from the life of the community. One of the most insidious 
demons that haunts our own culture is that of isolation, loneliness. Mother Teresa asked often about the state of poverty in the majority world, would often respond by reflecting back on the particular poverty of our Western world that rolls on unnoticed. She wrote, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy, it's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, or hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. Turns out that our own modern demons are not so far removed from those that we find in these strange old biblical stories, are they? But our culture too is haunted by the specter of isolation, of loneliness, of disconnection. Whatever we name it, demon, illness, social injustice, the problem is the same. What do we do with these sources of brokenness that continue to rupture our lives and our communities. Well, anytime you read the story of Jesus healing someone in the Gospels, take a closer look at what's really going on. Behind the distracting spectacle of the miracle itself, the dead being raised, the sick being cured, the demon afflicted being set free, behind that there is always someone being brought back into communion. Jesus is never healing an individual soul but always restoring a fractured relationship, healing that thing that keeps the person isolated from life with others. Jesus is always in the business of restoring relationship, of living out that image of God who sets the lonely in families, as the Psalms beautifully say. It is that, I think, that brings this man back into community, forcing entry into a holy place so that he can encounter Christ. Because it is always in community that we find our demons healed. But just as for the oppressed man in the story, that requires bringing our demons into community with us. Finding healing with others can only be done when we create space for people to bring their brokenness with them. When we ask people to leave their demons at the door of church, it turns out that they never get past the foyer. It takes tremendous courage to bring those parts of ourselves that we prefer to leave at the door into the space of community. This morning, I want to say to those of you who have had the courage to step across the threshold, not knowing what welcome awaits you on the other side, may God bless you. To the rest of us, may our hospitality be worthy of that courage. For we come to this place, a holy place, because we hope and wonder if here we will find God. But we discover that God is here because this is where people gather around a common table to share in the life of community. God is always in the business of setting the lonely in families. May we always be about our Father's business. Thanks be to God.